Success 101 Podcast. Man, it's just so amazing how the brain works, and I'm so excited to dive into that now that you mentioned that that one two four model. But even when we're asleep, you know, a lot of people think their brain just you know really goes on snooze mode or autopilot or whatever. I mean, your brain is cranking all the beats that you were just talking about and all the different delta waves that get processed. But I found that that only happens. You only get true rest, and you only really start wiring in those different brain waves from the chaos of the day if you've got a great nighttime routine. That's something I've talked a lot about on my podcast that I'm passionate about is having a great morning, as I mentioned last time, really starts. 90% of it is how you set up your nighttime routine. Absolutely. Yeah, night routines are a big thing that that we definitely talk about in my coaching sessions with my clients. I always want to see what they're doing, and normally it's not good. (laughs) Or there's not kind of a consistent 1% better that not only that they can sleep better, but also learning what works for them. And I think that's big. I think last podcast we talked about you know, how the future is personalized food, personalized medicine, personalized fitness based on our genes and epigenetics. Everybody's different. What heals me might hurt you and vice versa. Or what helps me have a restful night's sleep and waking up fully charged is make you feel groggy in the morning. And so, you know, some of the things that I do, I mean, there's so much, man. So, I mean, really, I'm very cognizant throughout the day, you know, first and foremost with blue light. And I'm sure you covered it in various podcasts. You're, you know, very aware of that. You know, there's blue blocker glasses out there. I used to have the Schwanwick ones. I recently got the Daywalkers uh, from Dave Asprey on Biohacked. And I oh, really yeah, like I saw those. those. Yeah. So so those are the Daywalkers I walk around with. And then at night, I switch gears. I look like RoboCop. It looks kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but it works, though, because, you know, we're supposed to be, when you look, when the sun goes down, that's what our bodies are used to. We're supposed to be in the dark, yet we're inside with bright lights looking at the TV, looking at our computers, looking at our phones constantly, and it's decreasing the melatonin within our bodies, which is what helps us go to sleep. And so, of course, first and foremost, I have them either apply some kind of blue blocking things on their computer screens, you know, either wear the blue blockers and just really maybe even change some of the lighting to amber or red within some of their homes so that not only is this helping with the melatonin, but also actually with the mitochondria that we talked about in last episode. And so, Light is really kind of first and foremost, just because that's something that can be easily done. And actually that simple change is that whole 80-20 again, that 20% change can yield a lot of results. And then when they're yeah, actually- and, and while, we're, while we're on that, you know, just I'll speak to that just for a moment on some things that I've been doing lately, just in, fa- in case the uh, listeners find some value out of it. Yeah. I've been trying to read more at night and any reading light that you go on Amazon and try to get, it's going to be the bright white, you know, the junk light that does not help you get to sleep. In most cases, there's not a lot of blue in it, but it's super bright white or yellow. Doesn't help a lot. It's not the red or the candlelight. But most headlamps out there are going to have a red, if you search for this, they're going to have a red light on there. And so I've been laying in bed at night trying to take more notes. I've been trying to journal more of the books that I'm reading and take notes. And so I've got this little red light that I lay in bed. And it's amazing how it actually makes me a little bit more sleepy whenever I've, you know, whenever I've got that, I also bought a red, just a small red light bulb that I put in the lamp beside my bed, just in case I need a little bit more light, uh, or I'm kind of feeling like I'm straining my eyes a little bit as I get more tired, but I want to push on through this last chapter. Mm. Just go to any Amazon, go to any store that sells light bulbs. You're going to see red lights there. I pop that thing into my lamp at night. And so now I can have even a little bit brighter light in my room, but it's all red light. I've got the James Swanick glasses that I put on at night. And it's just amazing how when you start winding down 90 minutes before your target bedtime, mm-hmm. getting the screens out of your face or at least putting the filters on there, it's just amazing how that helps just drop you right into deep sleep. It's like whenever I go up to my 
I'm leaving tomorrow and I'm going up to uh, the farmhouse with my wife and kids that we have way out in the country. No TV, no Internet. You know, you could keep screens in your face if you want, but we just typically don't because we're busy doing other stuff. And man, I'll get so tired. It, I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, what time is it? We got to get the kids to bed. My wife's like, yeah, it's like 7.45. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. It's just that darkness around you or having, can I, I do candles a lot up there because it's like an old time farmhouse. And it is just amazing that that is how we were supposed to sleep. And that is how we were supposed to, you know, start sleeping more as the way we were created. But yet, what do we do? We stay up late, screens in the face, doing whatever. And it's just totally sabotaging our society, I believe. I'm curious what research you found in the book that led you to that conclusion of why people do make those decisions where they pick the things that are less important over the things that are more important, only to look back and say, why in the world did I do that? Because this was such an important thing. What did your research find and what were the findings of that that you now use to teach others with today? I mean, one of the observations that uh, the research found was historical. And there are stages of a belief that has become dominant in our modern society. And it's a belief that up until now doesn't really have a name. The problem with that is that then people can't talk about it, can't observe it in the same way. And so I call it non-essentialism. It has its roots. You have to go, or at least you have to, to, to see its contrast. You have to go back a long way. So in the 1500s, there's three, three phases. And I'm going to give a little bit of a history lesson here. That phase one is 1400s. The birth of the word priority comes into the English language for the first time. What does it mean? The prior thing. The very first thing, one thing, of course, one thing, because it's the first thing. So the word has a clear meaning, clear definition, and it stays utilizing that meaning for the next 500 years, according to Drucker. And only in the 1900s was the term pluralized into priorities. So what does what does it even mean? I mean, can you have very, very many absolutely first before all other things? And yet, haven't right. you seen or heard someone with no sense of irony at all saying, here are my 20 priorities? So clearly, something was was afoot. And what was going on was the Industrial Revolution and the birth of, like, the, not the birth, but the acceleration of efficiency before and above all other principles. Because it could do tremendous things, efficiency in machines. But it then got applied to humans, and it's not the same way there doesn't work the same way. So some of those principles got tried, you tried to apply them back as if humans and machines and work that way. But anyway, that was phase one. Industrial revolution changed our sense of what can be done. And so everyone said, okay, if you can just do more faster than you will, your output will increase. Right. Uh, that's phase one. Phase two was in the post second world war. The whole earth has been discombobulated. The Western world has been uh, consumed in this massive conflict. And we come back from that and we don't take a year in mourning, reflection, figure it out, what matters now, what's important now. We don't do any of that. What we did instead, there was a as part of the industrial complex that had been developing and accelerating through the Second World War. There was a Panem strategy. And basically, Panem is a Latin term. It means circus and bread. It means that instead of people looking at how things are going and whether things are going well or what the problems are, instead of worrying about the state of the body politic, you just are distracted. You know, it's, it's the birth that's real, this real age of television comes into force, the age of consumerism. And it's this, it's this circus. And so that was phase two. 
we were no longer thought of ourselves the same way. We became consumers rather than you know citizens. And then phase three is one we've all been witness to, which is the last 10 years as we've shifted from information overload, which we were already in, to opinion overload as we moved into social the social media and everybody having a voice and everybody expressing that voice. So that's the historical context for why people today universally feel stretched too thin at work and at home, feel busy but not productive, feel their world is, that their day is hijacked by other people's agenda. You see, my experience in the hospital, while that particular thing may be unique to me, the experience is not. The, the sense of things being a little out of control, of having given up a lot of too much control, drip by drip to other people and other forces, is a very real phenomenon for the mass of modern society. That's one of the big things I learned was this historical context. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. And that's awesome. You guys got a farm up there and you do that with the family. And, you know, it's interesting. It's like everybody has done that or, or goes camp. Like every time I go camping or just out in nature or just far away from the city, how much great sleep you get. You know, you wake up, you're like, oh, my gosh, almost kind of like you're on vacation. When you go on vacation, you're kind of away from things, depending on what vacation you're going to. And it's right there. You know, you wake up feeling refreshed and there's there's a reason, right? You've escaped all that. And so you've escaped all that. And yeah, so I think first and foremost, that's something very small change that you can incorporate for a nice night routine. There's also, you know, when you talk food or supplements or things like that, uh, a lot of things that I incorporate, I love tea. And so I will, you know, always have some either sleepy time tea or chamomile Ooh, tea. The best. Oh, yeah. And then especially with my allergies, I love honey. Uh, and it helps me, especially local honey. But at nighttime, what's really good is is raw honey, along with maybe some high quality fats, uh, like the brain octane or any other kind of high quality fat. And so, um, you know, like you said, your brain is busy at night. And if it has some glycogen storage, it's able to pull from that to really process all of these subconscious thoughts that we were talking about earlier. And really processing all that information out for what happened throughout the day what happened last week, to really process that, kind of putting into the different filing cabinets in your mind so that when you wake up, it's like, okay, everything has been organized and filed and prioritized, so we're good. Let's wake up now. And so, you know, when you have these good energy sources, the glycogen from, you know, the raw honey, and I mentioned both because dual sources are great. So then you also have the ketones from the high-quality fats like brain octane, and that is another way of, you know, something very simple, tablespoon of honey and, you know, maybe some chamomile tea. And, you know, so that's something else that I try to incorporate, something very small. When you talk about supplements as well, there's different things that people can try. And again, everybody's different. So there's melatonin, there's different types of magnesiums. If you do magnesiums, I would also look for, like, I like magnesium citrate, but there's a lot of the last three letters, the A-T-E. As long as it says A-T-E at the end, it's going to be a good magnesium. And so, uh, you know, it could be, you know, melatonin, magnesium citrate, it can be passion flower, valerian root, you know, all these different things that they can experiment with that are natural. And, you know, for some people, valerian root's amazing. They feel amazing. Like one of my clients loves valerian root. However, when I do valerian root, oh man, it'll knock me out, but I will feel groggy in the morning. So for me, not for me. Right. And so it's just about like we were talking in last episode, find what works for you. And so in a supplement standpoint, that's kind of some of the things that I suggest along with figuring out about themselves. Yeah, and I, and I would recommend, uh, my listeners know that I'm a big fan of a company called Natural Stacks, which is down in Austin, and they've got, you know, really open source, everything is all natural, non-habit forming, 
and they've got the nootropic, the Siltup uh, for in the morning. They've got their brain line, their dopamine, serotonin, all these sort of things. But what I've really found helpful is their new line, their GABA brain food, which mm-hmm. hasn't been out maybe a couple of months now. They've been working on it for a long time just to get it so, you know, perfect and so fine the the really what they were trying to target there and so about five o'clock five six o'clock maybe if i forget as i'm driving home once i get home somewhere around in there i'll pop two gaba pills which is kind of a you know really just helps your nervous system to start calming down winding down a little bit it's not a sleep inhibitor so it's not really something that to me i would want to do i would want to wait until bedtime to do i mean you could but really to me it's that social wind down where you still need to be up. You still need to be talking to people. I need to be on for my kids and my wife. But if I've been dealing with a crazy, chaotic, hectic day, I don't want that edginess. I don't want that my brain to be just lingering on other things than when I should be focusing on my family. So I pop the GABA mm. about 5, 5.30, 6 p.m., somewhere in there. There's no real magic time, but just sometime long before bed. That helps me wind down. And then they've got their magnesium or their magtech, as they call it, and uh, it, it is the magnesium three and eight, as you mentioned. And that is really the three and eight. This is a patent by MIT that they created where it actually crosses the blood brain barrier where that magnesium actually gets into the brain, whereas most of them get stopped before that just based on the fact that they're not based on the three and eight. And uh, and so if you guys want to check it out, it's naturalstacks.com. I don't do a lot of promotions on things. I don't get paid to say that or do that, but I, I really believe in their products. I've done several episodes, three episodes with Ryan Muncy over there, their chief optimizer. And uh, man, they've just got such a great, great company and can't speak enough about them. Guys, we don't have to live like this. And in fact, we were not designed to live like this, especially the colonial era where they have dinner at 3 p.m. after having a hard day's work. And what do they do? They go and start reading. They talk. The sun goes down. They light candles. They talk more. They read more. And then they go to bed. And it's such a virtue to be focused then, whereas now it's almost a virtue to be busy. And it's just amazing how getting still and getting quiet is really a reflection of how we were supposed to live. We were not designed to work the way we do now. I'm convinced of it. We were not designed that way. And society's brought it on, but we've brought it on ourselves And I just wonder, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Is there truly a way with our society and business set up the way it is now? Is there a way to cut back in 2017? Are we always going to have this initial irritation, this agitation underlying that's always kind of creeping in on us till finally, at least to burnout and fatigue and just noise? It'd be good if I just said, yes, we can do it. And here's the 10 point plan. And I don't know whether that colonial description you just gave us can be done. It's so beautiful, isn't it? I mean, of course, I don't want to pretend that, that there have been no gains either in the interim period, that we've given things up and gained things. And, but, but the idea that one can just pause, that one can stop and read and read and keep reading. And of course, you're not just reading. We talk about that as if it's the same thing. You're, they're reading from wisdom literature. They're reading from the best minds that had lived through the Roman era. They're reading the Bible. They're reading literature that has stood the test of time, right. and that's where their mind is pondering. But now, what I do think we can do is we can start making small changes that start to move in that direction. So I certainly recommend to people that the first thing they do in their day, don't check the phone, don't check social media, don't have the phone by your pillow, or as uh, I was just on an episode with Steve Harvey, and we did an essentialism life makeover for somebody and, and go to their house. And we're doing all the recording. And it turns out that she puts her phone under her pillow at night, <laughs> keeps it there so that if anyone texts, she can respond immediately. I mean, that's, Of course. 
of course. It's sort of awful, isn't it? Yeah, right. But what we can do is put wisdom literature first. And, you know, so that's what that, this morning and it's every morning. I'm reading that, too. I mean, I'm scripture for me. That's my source of wisdom literature. But I'm reading it. Each of my children, even though the youngest is just eight, oldest is 14. That's the first thing they're doing, too. And they do it separately. And it changes the whole feeling of the house, of the home, of the interactions. Of course, it's not perfect. Of course, you're still waking up and everything, but it still changes it materially. And so you are still reclaiming a certain portion of the wisdom that you're observing and talking about from a different era. And, you know, my wife still reads to the children lasting at night. And that is also from that's from the classics, it's not scripture, but it's from the classics that they've gone through easily 50 books now. But all of this, the Anna Green Gables series and the, I mean, I could go on and on, all the different, all the different things, Black Beauty, all the, all the classic books. And, and so it is possible to reclaim some of our lost <laughs> lives, but it certainly doesn't happen by default. It's certainly very tricky when in the middle of this conversation you and I are having, I can be distracted, right? I can have some an email and suddenly it's on some other completely different subject. I can't even do anything about now. Yeah, that wasn't happening in a colonial setting. You could be where you were. You weren't being asked to think about everything else and be everywhere else. And so I think it's about, it's not about imitating their life. It's about innovating in today's reality. You know, we're not going to put this genie back in the bottle. This is our context and it has certain advantages. But the question is, is can we learn to riff within this world, right? Can we learn to surf this world? The wave of non-essentialism is here, but can we learn to surf it in such a way that we end up getting a meaningful life out of it? And I think the answer to that is yes, we can do that. We've got to start with small wins. You know, I'm so glad that you're talking about this because this opens the door to more performance in a different sense. So for me, what I've learned the hard way, <laughs> because I have had my moments in the past where I've hit a stopping point, burnout. And, you know, that's bad for numerous reasons, you know, business relationships, your own body and health. But, you know, when you talk about brain health and just the way that, you know, I think about it as diminishing returns. You're going to, if you're just, you know, there's, a, there's that hustle muscle that you have to build for sure, but there's an efficient and effective way of doing that. And on a brain level, a lot of people don't know this, so this is another awareness piece, is that the brain actually, every 50 minutes, and this is on average about every 50 minutes, the brain can't stay focused. It'll just go off into thinking something else. And so really what I've, and I found this also through the Academy of Brain-Based Leadership, through some neurologists and the studies that they've been doing. So every 50 minutes, sometimes I'll just do it on every hour, I'll take a five-second break, anywhere from a five-second to 15-minute break where I'll do some push-ups, I have a pull-up bar, I'll do some pull-ups, I'll go just go outside, breathe some fresh air, take a walk, walk a dog, you know, something, or do a little presence exercise or a breathing technique, whatever it may be, it's actually important because if you want to stay, if you want to be efficient to where your mind and body is working for you, then, you know, you better believe for one minute, every hour, you take a quick break, how much more efficient you can be. And you know, along that, along those lines, I'm very much now about less is more. And I try to incorporate kind of being more than doing more, especially within my business. And everything's different. Everybody's different within their business. But for me, the more I can be, the more actually I get accomplished. I don't mean to suggest that we can't design 
a meaningful life. And I don't mean to suggest that ultimately we can't reclaim an enormous amount of it. Maybe we can get all the way, but I just think you get there by degrees. You don't get there in one big jump. But bit by bit, you say, you know, okay, I'm just going to reclaim the first 20 minutes of my day. I'm not giving that up anymore. Right. And then eventually, you know, bit by bit, right? So in my own life, you know, I started my own business. So that doesn't reclaim everything, but it gives you a lot more option, a lot more opportunity. You still have a lot to do, of course, different set of things to do. But over time, it has allowed layer by layer an essentialist strategy to be implemented. And I'm still in the real world trying to grapple with this and figure it all out. But one of the <laughs> things I can do now is that when I travel, I always have a child come with me or my wife come with me. So we have these adventures now all over the place. Well, to do that, we had to do a whole series of things. We had to, you know, you layer on. So we ended up homeschooling, our, you know, first just one child and we decided we'd maybe do the next child and maybe we'll keep going. This is all part of this essentialist experiment. And so bit by bit, things do change and you do get to say, well, I'm going to question that piece of the puzzle. And I'm going to wonder to myself whether that over there is really necessary anymore and make different trade-offs. And within a short period of time, you feel like you're pretty different. It feels quite revolutionary because when people are saying yes, you're saying no. When you're saying no, they're saying yes. Right? There is a countercultural element of this. But what the benefit of it is, is that you start to feel differently and you start to live differently. And I'm very optimistic that you know over the years, there's going to be a new way of living that uh, we can achieve. And I certainly have no desire to go back to the world, the life I had as was. Just to tie up the end on this, uh, the nighttime routine, I know we got into a lot of stuff there, but I love how it all flows back together. So for me personally, I'll just let the listeners know out there for me personally, you may have heard me mention before, but I'll just recap it here. It's the GABA about 5.36 p.m. It's somewhere around, you know, about an hour before I go to bed, I'll take the MagTech from Natural Stack with the magnesium three and eight in it, which is great uh, for sleep. Oftentimes do some sort of a tea. I'm not a big tea guy like you. I, I just typically I don't like the way a lot of tea tastes and I'd rather just have something else. But the yeah. sleepy time tea with chamomile and stuff in it is awesome. I'll take melatonin every now and then. I'm, I try to be careful with that because I don't want it to be habit forming or, you know, take too much of it. But I'll take some melatonin. And then before I go to bed, as I mentioned last time, it's the sleep induction mat. It's winding yeah. down and it's putting on the blue blockers at night. Many people hear this stuff if they're not in this routine and it's like, oh man, what a hassle. Like, yeah, I want to feel better at night, but wow, <laughs> yeah. all this stuff you have to do. Pick I, one. I at one time, yeah, pick one and start. Yeah. That's where you're going to start and you're going to realize what works for you and you're always going to be testing. How often are you going back and actually looking at those old entries? Is it something that you, you build in some sort of a system? Yes, yes. At first it was by chance. And even now I feel like there's this untapped asset that I want to develop better routines with. But once when I, every time I complete a journal, which happens almost exactly every 90 days, I sit down and go through everything and try to capture, well, out of these moments, what were the most important moments? What is the news in my life? Uh, it's very easy in a email to email, reaction to reaction, approach to life to miss the news. And so, so yes, I hold a personal quarterly offsite. And the, one of the most important things one can do in that 
is is capture the news. Let me let me explain what I mean by this this idea of capturing the news to understanding the life of an essentialist and the role of journals, journals, journalists. It's to be a journalist in one's own life is to capture these moments. Just like we were discussing earlier, this is one line at a time can be sufficient to start connecting the dots so that you can start to notice the news between the lines of your life and not miss it. I think it is very possible to miss the news in our life for months and years and decades at a time. And all we need to do for proof of that is to look at people who come to the end of their lives and discover that they missed it. To discover life passed them by. They can even high performance people. I just got an email from somebody who spent his life, high performance career, CEO of the firm. I've got a lot of respect for what, what he did professionally. Actually, what he was saying is he said, he said, I just watched the, uh, the, the Steve Harvey episode that I had done where we took someone and took them on a essentialism life makeover. He said, I wish I'd had you to talk to me years and years ago. He said, once I was retired, I think I said for the first time, somebody said to me, you have to come and do this thing. And he said to them, thought for a while, and he turned to them and he said, I don't have to, and I'm not going to. He said, I think that was the first time I've ever said it. (laughs) Wow. And I bet it felt great too. You know, there's so many stories I hear, you know, I'm sure you're getting them left and right because of your work, but so many stories I hear of people who regret more the things that they didn't do and didn't build into their life, like we're talking about here, than actually all of the things together that they accomplished. And what a, you know, I'm, I'm the older that I get, I'm still, still a young guy, 35 years old, but the older I get and the more of my older clients that I work with, I start realizing that a, a wasted life, you know, however you define that, it could mean different things for different people. But I read a, a book years ago by John Piper called uh, Don't Waste Your Life. And it's a wasted life is incredibly, um, incredibly fearful of that. And your work and others out there that are doing very similar things to help us get this noise out of our life and screens out of our face is, I think, years from now, we're going to look back and go, wow, that was a neat idea, it seemed at first, but what a tremendous wealth of wisdom it was uh, when when we learn how to build it in. So thank you so much for your work, uh, Greg McCown. I know, you know, we want to get people, the book, your book in their hands. That would be my aim and my mission. If I can do that for everyone listening, that would be great. Where can we steer more traffic your way to find out more about you, your writings, uh, your books, all of that? Uh, I know you, you probably can't be found a lot of places out there because you do with such an essentialism type lifestyle, but where can we best find you for those wanting to connect? I think that gregmcewan.com is a place that we just, we were very careful in curating just not too much stuff on there, but but as we have things that we that I think are worth sharing and um, you know we, we add things onto there, and so I think that's a, that's as good a place as any. That is great. Well, thanks so much for your time here on the Success 101 podcast. I could go on and on about this. And gosh, your episodes on the Steve Harvey show for the listeners out there who have not seen, you know, I think they're all on your website now. I know I've been getting them in your newsletters, but I think they're on the website, but it's just great. The essentialism makeovers, the things that you're doing that could seemingly just be such simple everyday things is, are the things that are so hard for us to build in. And you think it's crazy for someone to need to coach you through doing less, right? I mean, you think that would just be a natural thing. You could just do less when you put your mind to it. But in today's world, it's just such a tough, tough thing to do. And so I appreciate your work. And thanks so much for the time here today. Thank you so much. Take care, Greg. Bye-bye.
Hey guys, I loved having Greg on the podcast today and hope you took a ton away from his message on getting the noise and distraction and screens out of our face as we build a more significant life toward an overall mindset of essentialism starting today. If you guys would like to connect directly with me, the best way to do that is my email, which is info at success101podcast.com, or you can catch me in the world of social media on the Success 101 Podcast Facebook page or on Instagram under the name at Success 101 Podcast. I'll catch you guys on the next awesome episode and hope you keep rocking it until then.